0: To those of you listening to us on the internet, to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be, and to our members and guests here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God upon which we base our message on this 22nd Sunday after Pentecost is the Old Testament reading. You heard it before from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Recall just these words as we get into this uh, section of Scripture. Whoever loves money will never be satisfied with money. So far the word. In the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, who through His precious blood made all of us richer, richer, than anyone in the world because we possess the riches of eternal life in heaven, my beloved. Did you ever wish or dream of being filthy rich? Did you take a look at the uh, mega millions jackpot recently? It's 1.6 billion. It's never been that high ever. Ever. The words before us this morning from Ecclesiastes warn us to be careful what we wish for. The words before us this morning are from the pen of perhaps the richest man ever to have lived. He was none other than um, King David's son, King Solomon. And these words, and it's very important to understand that, he wrote near the end of his life. He informs us that when it comes to great wealth, he's basically saying throughout his entire entire, uh, book that he writes for us, been there, done that, never want to make those mistakes ever again. Listen to the description of some of his wealth. The gold that came to Solomon one year weighed 49,950 pounds, not counting the gold which came from the merchants, the traders, prophets, all the Arab kings and the governors of the country. All King Solomon's cups were gold, and all the utensils for the hall which he called the Forest of Lebanon were fine gold. Nothing was silver because it wasn't considered valuable in Solomon's time. Solomon had stalls for 40,000 chariot horses. He also had 12,000 chariot soldiers. Each of the governors provided food for one month every year for King Solomon and all who ate at his table. In today's terminology, you might say that King Solomon had garages and garages full of uh, Maseratis, Lexus, uh, Mercedes-Benz, Rolls-Royce. And he only drove the very best and he picked out any color that he wanted to drive on any given day. Now I'll be the very first one who happens to be a member of the economic middle class of the United States of America in 2018 to talk about what it means to be wealthy. But it's something entirely different to listen to Solomon, the richest man, perhaps, who ever lived, and to learn from his experience as he relates that experience to us. Now, it's kind of even hard to pronounce Ecclesiastes. But actually what it means is the preacher or the teacher. And so Solomon is preaching and teaching to us through these words. He tells us whoever loves money will never be satisfied with money. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with more income. Even this is pointless, or the word that I use, even this is futile. Now, let's make no mistake from the very beginning. There's nothing wrong with wealth, and there's nothing wrong with money. It does a whole lot of good things. Money built this church. But if you love money so much that it becomes your God and what you live for, then if that's your God, you could be lost in hell in its acute form. Now, in its moderate form, the love of money uh, brings uh, frustration, anxiety, and worry. In fact, the the writer says, uh, whoever loves money will never be satisfied with money The elder J.D. Rockefeller once was asked, uh, how much money is enough for a person? And he snapped back, always a little more. The message of Ecclesiastes is that you can get so wrapped up in money that you are not wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Solomon reminds us that frustration and futility comes to us when we're trying to look for lasting happiness in a place that doesn't last. It's futile. He says it's like a dog chasing its tail. It's like trying to chase the wind. It's futile. In fact, he uses that phrase futile or pointless 35 times in his letter. You can't grasp on to lasting happiness in a place that doesn't last. I can tell you. Uh, Last time I bought a new used car, I got into it for a test drive and uh, I asked the, the dealer, I said, now, is this car going to be different from all the other cars I ever bought that it will not depreciate and ever rust out? He says, no, sir, I can't promise that. That wonderful vacation that you planned and looked forward to so very, very much and then it was all over. Solomon also tells us as the number of goods increase, so do the number of people who consume them. What do owners gain from all their goods except the opportunity to look at them? He says you can only gain so much wealth and so much property or whatever that you can actually use. And then all the other stuff, what is it good for? All you do is look at it. I remember my sainted mother-in-law once said, you know, uh, we take... Uh, Pride in gathering possessions, you know, you need a new couch, you need a new lamp or whatever. And and you say, oh, and you save up for it and then you go out and get it and you bring it into your house. And now, then what? Now you look at it. Are you completely happy? It was a while back when I went to State Fair Park and they had uh, artist displays out there. And one was of uh, Aaron Rodgers. And they said they were going to have copies made and put on uh, public uh, television uh, to bid. And I look at that picture of Aaron Rodgers. I just had to have that thing. And so I bid it, bid for it, and I got it. And I took it to a place to be framed, and now it's in my basement. And uh, rec room, we call it our packer room. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm no happier today than I was before I had that picture. Solomon goes on, he says, The sleep of working people is sweet, whether they eat a little or a lot. But the full stomachs that rich people have will not allow them to sleep. Extreme wealth can cause worry. You can't sleep at night. You're always worrying about losing your money. Is your stock portfolio going to be devalued? I always get a kick out of that uh, ad for uh, Roslyn Capital and Lear Silver. You know, it's like, oh, the, 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 uh, the deficit is so high. Who knows how many trillions? You can be safe when you order silver. And I was, well, oh, yeah, then you get it in your house and you have you all these coins in your hands. Now do you really feel secure? Solomon also says, There is a painful tragedy that I have seen under the sun. Riches lead to the downfall of those who hoard them. These hoarded riches riches were then lost in bad business deals. The owners had children, but now they have nothing to give them. We know that wealth can be lost easily. Maybe some of you still remember back to 2008. Even the housing market took a, a dive. Some people are still underwater with their mortgages. You can lose all, he said, so that the wealthy people in bad business deals lose it all. They can't even take care of their children. And then verses 15. They came from their mother's womb naked. They will leave as naked as they came. They won't even be able to take a handful of their earnings with them from all their hard work. This is also a painful tragedy. They leave exactly as they came. What advantage do they gain from working so hard for the wind? They spend their entire lives in darkness, in constant frustration, sickness, and resentment. You can't take it with you. Somebody once said, did you ever notice how there are no trailer hitches on hearses? We all came into this world naked in the delivery room and we're all going to leave naked in the embalming room. One of our pastors, one time at one of our pastoral conferences, we were hearing uh, about the Concordia insurance plans for clergy. And we found out that uh, when any clergy dies, if you're a member of the Missouri Synod, that you get $10,000 at your death for funeral expenses. And he went up and and talked to one of the insurance agents. He says, I never knew that before. I get $10,000 when I die. He said, no, you're wrong. When you die, you get nothing. Your wife gets it. You see, you can work so hard, but you still die with nothing. And some people, even their wealth, Earns them frustration, sickness, and resentment because they can't take it with them. So, we've been talking about rich people. Uh, Are any of us guilty of any of the sins of rich people? No matter what economic status you are in, you bet we are. What have you been teaching your children? or your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren, or your nieces, or your nephews. Get the best education that possibly can so that you can get the best job that you possibly can so that you can get the best bank account that you can. Or remember, no matter what, to keep your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ number one in your life. What are we teaching them by our word and example? Do you preach them that Jesus Christ is always the number one priority in your life? Now, I always hate to set myself up as an example, but you know that I've heard preach from this pulpit before how much I loved my father. And I can still remember way, way back when I was about 13 years old, I got my first job as a paper boy. And I delivered papers and I can still remember that was the time he had to go and collect the money from the houses. And I came home the first time and I I got $14 and I said, Dad, I got $14. Isn't this wonderful? He says, no, you don't. I said, what do you mean? He says, you got to give 10% to the Lord. A dollar 40? He said, yeah, you give that to me. I'll put that into my envelope until you have your own confirmation envelopes. The Creator became a creature to rescue us from our disobedience and our lack of love for him, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. So what are we teaching our children? Don't get married until you have enough money. How much is enough? Well, maybe we'll never have enough, so we'll just start living together without the benefit of marriage, and you force them into adultery. I remember many times I would counsel young couples getting ready to get married, and I would always ask them now, if God blesses you with children, how many would you like to have? A lot of times they would say, "Uh, maybe maybe one, but certainly no more than two because you know they're very expensive and you always have to give each one exactly like the other. And that's selfishness. I want certain comforts and I'm not willing to sacrifice anything for my children. And sometimes we wonder, not only why is the American population shrinking, but also the members of the Lutheran Church shrinking because people are not having many babies anymore. I remember one time I was in the hospital and I was undergoing some procedures and the the nurses were talking to me and they said, oh, and pastor, how many children do you have? And I said, four. And they said, what? How can you afford that many? Children, besides our Lord Jesus Christ, can be the first treasure of our lives. Now, what Solomon also does he contrasts the frustrations of the rich to the common working, working man and woman. He says the sleep of working people is sweet, whether they eat a little or a lot. By the grace of God, if we can recognize this life for what it is, that this world and everything in it is temporary, then we recognize that this place is just a journey and not the destination. The best that it can get this side of eternity, Solomon says, "...at last I have seen what is good and beautiful. It is to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good in all our hard work under the sun during the brief lives God gives us." That is our lot in life. It is a gift from God when God gives some people wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them. And so Solomon is saying just enjoy the temporary time that we have in this world, the laugh of a baby, the taste of a good meal, going to work with a healthy body, a good conversation with a friend, just enjoy the good times and the bad because they all pass so quickly. Now, please don't understand, uh, misunderstand this morning. Solomon is not telling us to move into the area of asceticism, you know, to become uh, uh, take an oath of poverty and move into a monastery. But he is reviewing his life and all the mistakes that he made. And he's calling for a faith that recognizes that all that we have and are comes from the gracious hand of our Lord and gracious giver. And he encourages us to take all of our sins of worry and doubt and dissatisfaction and dump them at the foot of the cross. He reminds us that by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, Our work can become satisfying because it serves a greater need and it's done for a greater purpose than just to collect stuff. Daily toil and the accumulation of wealth and and possessions is a means by which we are able to give thanks to God and find contentment in Jesus Christ. And after all is said and done, it's kind of interesting how Solomon ends this last writing of his at the end of his life, having made all the mistakes of the wealthy. He says, after having heard it all, this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commands because this applies to everyone. And you've heard me say what that means to fear God. It means to be wowed by God. God, you are awesome. His poverty, wow, he was born in a barn. His poverty, wow, he had no place where to lay his head. His poverty, wow, he hangs almost naked on a cross for you and me. Wow, he did it all for you and for me. How can I serve him? That's the meaning of life. Oh. If I only could win that $1.6 billion. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You possess all the riches that neither moth nor rust can destroy. Reserved in heaven for you. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And for the guarantee of eternal life, you are truly rich, not only now, but forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, amen. We confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed on page 7. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, And I believe in one holy, Christian, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We take this time to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards.